this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So we will take an offering next Sunday here, uh, which we'll then take with us to Devoted uh, in the summer. So there you go. I should have introduced myself. I'm sorry I didn't. Uh, my name's Graham. I'm part of the team that leaves Jubilee. And it's really good to have you here this morning, particularly if you're visiting, if you're looking in. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for being here. It's really good to have you with us. Now then, we are starting a new preaching series this morning. So you're here on a particularly good Sunday, because you're here right at the very beginning of something. So uh, I would encourage you to come back and don't miss out on the rest of it, because it will be good. Uh, but over the summer, we're going to um, have a preaching series, which we're calling Summer Psalms. And those of you who are particularly bright amongst us, will might guess that therefore we're spending the summer looking at some Psalms. Now, I was waiting for the answer there. I was giving you the clue, but we weren't quite there, nearly. We're looking at some psalms together over the summer. A number of different people are going to be speaking over the summer period. But the theme that ties it all together is we'll be looking at some psalms together. And once school stops, our meetings on a Sunday will be slightly shorter than normal. We'll finish at... 11.30 rather than 11.45, uh, that's not this morning, so don't, don't worry. Uh, and then in September, once schools are back, we'll start a new preaching series looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be working our way through that throughout the autumn and into next year. So if you want something to read over the summer, you're thinking, I wonder what I should look at over the summer period, then reading through 1 Corinthians will be, will be good, it'll prepare you for what we're uh, looking at as a church, certainly uh, in the autumn period. So if you've got a Bible with you, perhaps you'd like to, uh, to turn to Psalm 18, please. This is the psalm that we're going to look at together this morning, Psalm number 18. <clears throat> now it's quite a long psalm, it's got 50 verses, so we're not actually going to read it all, and I'm not even going to read it all to start with, but rather we'll pick out some chunks of it, if you like, and look at some, uh, some verses together uh, as we go. So uh, just while you're finding it, why don't I pray and then we'll see what the Lord has for us from this particular passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the peace that you've spoken to us about this morning. And so we pray now that God, you speak to us from your word. We do thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active and it does us good. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, come and apply what we read to our lives. Would it not just be knowledge and understanding that we gain, but rather, Lord, would we meet with you as we look at your word together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're told in the, in the notes in Psalm 18 here that... Um, it's a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. And it's a song that he sang when the Lord rescued him from the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. 
And if you know anything about the life of David, uh, then you, you, you may know that he was a worshipper. And uh, he wrote many songs, many psalms. We have many of them recorded in the book of Psalms. His early life was uh, involved mostly in looking after sheep. He was a shepherd. And uh, then on one particular occasion, he had a massive victory over a giant called Goliath, who was part of the enemy of Israel. And uh, that saw him starting to be uh, have a profile, and um, he started to become quite a powerful individual and, and a military leader. And when he became too popular and too powerful, King Saul tried to kill him more than once. And so he had to go on the run and hide from Saul, even though actually he'd been anointed as king and it was prophesied over him that he would be king one day. So it was quite a life that he had. I mean, if you're anointed as king and you're prepared to be king of the nation, you don't really expect to have to then go on the run. But that's what David had to do. And uh, this particular psalm is written on one occasion when God had saved his life. And it's almost identical to David's song of praise that we find in 2 Samuel 22. And in that particular passage, it's his personal song. In this version we have in the Psalms, it's more of a corporate song of praise to God, so others could sing it as well. And as we've said already, we don't have time to look at it all this morning, but I want to pick out various sections as we go and see what God has for us. So it seems like a good idea to start at the beginning. So we'll do just that and start at the beginning of Psalm 18. The first three verses says this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. Right at the beginning of this psalm, right at the very start of it, in verse 1, we get a window into David's heart. Above everything else, above everything else, David was someone who loved God. He was someone who loved God. And as you read through the psalms, you find this time and time again. It's impossible to miss it. Time after time, psalm after psalm, you find David as one who worships the Lord. I I guess he had a good foundation, didn't he? He was out with the sheep for much of his early life. And he didn't waste it. He didn't waste his time there. He learnt to worship. I guess if we're honest, for most of us here this morning, life is pretty busy. You've probably got lots going on. Multiple responsibilities, be they at home or at work, with friends or with family. We live pretty busy and fast-paced, fast-paced lives. But more than that, we have immediate access to all sorts of things that can distract us. Now, if you have... um, have one of these sort of things, as I'd imagine many of you do, one of these smartphones, 
you have an amazing, incredible device with which you can communicate freely with people on the other side of the world. It's amazing, isn't it? I was speaking to some friends uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, in Cambodia, uh, some, some friends that are planting a church in Siem Reap, and looking at encouraging and supporting them. And uh, So I was in touch with them to find out how they're going. And we're, we're having a, a conversation on, uh, on a video call. Didn't cost a penny. It's amazing, isn't it? The sorts of things we can do with a little device you can fit in your pocket. You have at your fingertips access to an inordinate amount of knowledge and information, some of which is even true. You have things that previous generations could only dream of. You, know, you have the ability on your smartphone device to switch on your central heating, or if you're poor, to switch off your central heating. To complete your weekly shop. To get the latest news and weather forecast. To move money around your bank accounts. All within the space of a few seconds. And without even taking a step anywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. I love technology. You know, I, I love having a device like this. It, it, it's great. I've always enjoy, enjoyed gadgets and technology. But listen, friends, this has a downside as well. Those times when we used to have a free moment, when we had some space to think, to pray, to worship, to connect our hearts to heaven, if we're not careful, those times have been filled. Think about it for a second. What do you do when you get a free moment? You're standing at a bus stop. You're waiting for a friend to meet you. You're in the doctor's surgery waiting for an appointment. What's your natural inclination in that moment? I think for many of us, the natural inclination is this. It is, isn't it? And out comes the, out comes the phone and it's be it social media or if you're a news junkie like I am, the latest headlines or whatever it is. If we're not careful, we've allowed this device to fill those spare moments, those moments of connection that previously it would have been natural to think and pray and just think of, of the Lord and maybe bring some things to Him. If we're not careful, we lose our desire to connect with heaven and to pray and to worship and just look at our phones instead. See, my impression of David was that when he had a few minutes spare, when he sorted out the sheep, when he made sure they were safe, when he counted them, when they were all there, when they were having lunch, chewing on some grass, David would sit on a rock and his heart would turn to heaven. And he'd think it's a song to write. He'd begin to pray and to worship and connect his heart to the Lord. If we're not careful... We we lose the desire to do that because of these things. And for the sake of transparency, I am as guilty as anybody else. The natural reaction so often is like, oh, just have a quick look at the headlines or check the email or to look at social media, whatever it might be. Those things are not bad. Please hear me, friends. I'm not saying they're bad. 
I'm just saying that I think sometimes these devices have filled those moments when previously our heart may have turned to heaven. And for David, I think that's what he did. I felt the Lord challenged me on this recently. And maybe he's challenging you as well. I've started to take things off my phone now, actually. I don't want to be controlled by it. And so in those rare moments of peace and those few minutes of space, I want my heart to go heavenward, not my hand to go phoneward. I want to encourage you to think of that for yourselves as well. Paul said this in Acts 13. He said, after removing Saul, God made David their king. And God testified concerning him. He said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David was described as a man after God's own heart. What a wonderful description. Have you you thought, I wonder, how would the Lord describe you? How would he describe me? What might God say? For David, he said, hey, there's a man after my own heart. Would the Lord say that about you? He's a man after my own heart. He's a woman after my own heart. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. And so in a busy and fast-paced life, I think it means we need to be more intentional. David was someone who loved the Lord and someone whom the Lord loved. He gave time to his relationship with God. So the question for all of us this morning is how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? David goes on. If you've got the psalm open in front of you or, or maybe on your phone, <laughs> ironically, um, then just, just have it open as we work our way through it. David goes on. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Do you notice that? Verse 1 still. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Where was David's strength? You know, he was a popular and successful military leader. He knew what it was to win battles and to defeat giants. He was king. Pretty powerful role by by any account. But his strength wasn't in those things. Even once he'd been recognised and became king, his strength wasn't in that. His strength was in the Lord. We know that from looking through his life. His strength was found in God's. For example, in 1 Samuel 30, David and his men uh, are living amongst the Philistines. Now, they're the enemies of Israel, okay? And David and his men are living amongst them. It's because Saul is after David. King Saul is after his life. And it's a place of refuge for David and his men. And they're actually fighting for the Philistines, for some of it. And so David and his men return on one occasion from battle, or more accurately, but from being sent home by the Philistines because they didn't trust them to fight for them in this case. And they find that disaster has struck. Another bunch of enemies, the Amalekites, had come and raided their camp. They'd burned it. They'd taken captive all the women and children and anybody else who was left. David's wives had been captured as well. 
I think by any stretch of the imagination, this is not a good situation. This is not a good day at work. They've not come home and things have gone well. Things have gone very badly. And David's men start talking of stoning him. Now these are his guys that are normally totally with him, totally for him, really faithful to him. And suddenly, in 1 Samuel 30, they're talking of stoning him. It's not a good day at the office, is it, really? So what does David do? Where's David's strength? 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. You see, he knew where his strength came from. I love you, O Lord, my strength. I wonder this morning, friends, where does your strength come from? Is it from your education or your background? Your position, your job, your um, whatever it might be, I don't know. Or is it in the Lord? Does your strength come from that? God wants your strength to come from him. And that's the best place it can come from. It really is. It really is. He goes on, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I court the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. David goes on, talking about the Lord being his rock, his fortress and his deliverer. He said, David was being, had been pursued by King Saul. His enemies had wanted him dead but he knew that God was his deliverer because the Lord had kept him safe. It says that, it's a strange phrase, isn't it? That, that he is my shield and the horn of my salvation. What does that mean? It means that God is the strength of his salvation. It means that God is his stronghold. A place of safety. God has been and is his safe place. <clears throat> and even in verse 3 here, he can't help but break into praise as he talks of the Lord saving him from his enemies. See, this had been David's story. It had been his experience. I wonder, is it yours? As you look back, is that your story? Is that your experience? Is that your life with God? David could speak of the Lord saving him. That's certainly my experience. And as I look around the room this morning, I know there's this, this is a story that many of you would tell. And if you don't have that story to tell just yet of the Lord acting for you and being your strength and your salvation, then even this morning, God wants you to start on that journey with him. That you might have those stories to tell of him being faithful to you. Just as many of us have those stories of him being faithful to us. The Lord was David's strength. He has been and is my strength. And for you too. He's your strength, your salvation, your shield, your fortress. And you know what? The fact that God has been like this in the past indicates to us that he will be like this in the future. It's what we read in his word. 
It's what we've experienced in our lives. Many of us could say, I mean, David was um, talking, not King David, but our David, Perry was talking this morning of God's faithfulness and his pace in a situation just this week. See, we can read about it in God's words. We know it's true because there have been occasions in our lives when God has proved it to us. We've even heard some stories this morning about it. You know what? God is going to be like that in the future as well. Because he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as you look back, you see God's faithfulness. As you read his words, you see his faithfulness. So as you look forward, and maybe what you see in front of you is chaos. Maybe, what, maybe even this morning, what you see in front of you is not great. There's difficulty, there is challenge ahead of you. But you know what? God said he was faithful. And looking back, you know he's been faithful. So as you look forward and as you step into situations that may not be inviting and may be difficult and challenging, listen, God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He was faithful then, he'll be faithful in the future. That was David's story. That can be your story as well. How are we doing for time? We can look at another chunk. It's a good job we're not doing 50 verses. Be here till tea time. Right then. The next few verses, four to six, uh, David just amplifies uh, the theme and uh, continues talking of God's faithfulness to him. Um, But let's, let's jump ahead a little bit and let's look at um, verse 20. David says this, verse 20. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, <clears throat> according to the cleanness of my hands he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him. I've kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. The reason I wanted to pick out these verses is this. At first sight, they seem quite strange. At first sight, they seem like David is saying, look at me, aren't I great? I've done it all. I've kept my heart right and I've I've not done anything wrong. And it appears at first glance that David is saying, because of that, God's pleased with me. And you could read it and think, is that really what he's saying? And he's kept himself blameless and so God has rewarded him because of his righteousness. It seems at a first glance, a first reading, to indicate that David was somehow righteous by what he had done. So let's think about it for a moment. Whenever you read anything in God's words, whenever you read anything, you need to, I understand the context, what's going on here. You need to read it in the light of the rest of Scripture as well. So what's our understanding from the whole of Scripture about this? Well, our understanding from the whole of Scripture is that actually we can't make ourselves righteous before God, but it's only something that he can do for us. So remember, this psalm is talking about the Lord rescuing David from his enemies. 
And I want to suggest to you that what David is doing is comparing himself to his enemies who don't know the Lord. Those who are far from God. Those who have no regard for him. No interest in following him. David, however, has devoted himself to the Lord and to following him. And he has sought to live a godly and righteous life. That's only because of what God has done in him. And for us, we can only live a godly and righteous life because of what the Lord is doing in us. It's not by our strength or our might. It's not by our hard work that somehow we're saved and God says, well, okay, you've, you've done quite well. I, you know. No, no, no. It's about what he has done for us. We know from the rest of Scripture that we only can have a relationship with God because he makes it possible. And he made it possible through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. That's why it's possible. That's how we can have a relationship with God. Now, if you know anything about David, you'll know that actually his life wasn't perfect. There were some moments of terrible decision, quite awful sin, murder and adultery. You know, not great examples. But still, David is described as someone who is after God's own heart. Yes, there are some examples in David's life of him making some poor choices, of him rebelling against what God had said, being disobedient to him. But we also see what happened afterwards as he repented and came back to God. And God still described him as a man after his own heart. Even after going so far away from the Lord, he found a way back because God invited him back into relationship. And David's life is an an example to many of us and a reminder that God makes these things possible. It's only because of what he has done that we can enter into relationship with him. And and David, as I I alluded to there, he got some examples of adultery, murder, to cover his tracks. And yet God was able to forgive him because of his repentant heart. And so this morning, no matter what you have done, the same invitation is open to you as well. That if you repent and accept Jesus as your Lord's, God too wants to have a relationship with you. And he has made it possible. He's done it all. All that is required, he has done. Hallelujah. Now then, let's look at a few more verses before we, before we finish our time together. Verse 30. Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes, the feet, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my, arms, trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. 
You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn over. Here in these verses, excuse me, we have some promises about who God is and what he does. His way is perfect. Can't say that about anybody else, can you? And over the next few verses, we see that because the Lord is perfect, he wants to provide for you all that you need in whatever situation you face. See, he is the one who arms you with strength. So do you need strength for a work situation or a family situation? Friends, it is God who arms you with strength. Now, David uses the imagery of battle here, doesn't he? He's talking about the God who trains my hands for battle. Now, there's a skill there. There's massive strength there. He's talking about one who can use a bow, a shield, who can fight and who can win. You might be thinking, is this relevant for us? Is it relevant if we're, you know, unless you're a soldier this morning? Some of you might be, I'm not sure. But are you thinking, is this relevant for me? Well, it is. Let me explain why. We sometimes talk about the Christian life being like a battle. That's not true. It's incorrect. The Christian life is not like a battle. The Christian life is a battle. It really is. We're in a war. We have an enemy who is out to destroy us. And listen, the more passionate you are as a Christian the more that he wants to take you out. Louise was talking earlier in in our worship time uh, about God healing her voice just recently. And actually thinking that, you know what, it was the enemy seeking to intimidate her. It's not like she's in a battle. She is. There has been in a battle. And wonderful to see God's victory and your healing. Listen, lukewarm and ineffective Christians are no threat to the devil's kingdom. You're not on his radar. Why bother? You're no, you're no danger to him. You're not praying. You're not effective. You're not you know, engaged in what God is doing. You know, you're not very passionate. You're just maybe occasionally going through some motions. You're not really a threat to the devil's kingdom. You're not on his radar very much. But I know many of you, and you're not like that. You're passionate. You love Jesus. You want to see his kingdom extended. You want to plant churches in some other places. You want to serve the poor and bring God's righteousness into situations. You love Jesus with your whole heart. You're passionate worshippers and you've given yourself to following him. People like that are on the enemy's radar because you're a threat to him. If you're on fire for Jesus, then no wonder you're on the enemy's radar. Now, I don't say this to scare you, but just to be real. Because remember, who is stronger? Is it an equal fight between God and Satan? No, of course it isn't. David might have been talking about being in a physical battle with his enemies, but you and I are in a spiritual battle with the enemy of God. So what do you do? Well, you arm yourself. You prepare for the battle. You're on a war footing, as it were. You know, a soldier going off to battle will prepare themselves. He or she will get ready, 
Put on appropriate clothing. Take the relevant kits. Have been on exercises and drills and learnt what to do. And they're ready for war. You and I are in a battle. We need to learn how to fight. And we need to learn how to stand. Do you remember what Paul says in Ephesians 6? Therefore, put on the full armour of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. If there's one theme of this psalm, it's God's strength. We read about it in verse 1, and we keep coming back to it. And this morning, as we finish, I feel that God wants to remind you of his strength. Who's the band come up again, please? Let me ask you a question. Where do you need to know God's strength? In what area of life are you perhaps feeling weak or vulnerable, maybe? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says this. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So where are you weak this morning? Where do you need to know God's strength? Where do you maybe need to stand firm? Let's stand together and uh, we're going to worship the Lord and maybe pray. Let's see what he wants to do amongst us. Let's just lift our hands to him. Let's then lift our hearts to him. Thank you, Lord. Let's give him these moments. Thank you, Father, for the example we have in your word of David being a worshipper above everything else. And Lord, thank you that you found in his heart someone who is after your own heart. And God, we want you to say that of us. (laughs) Lord, we would love it for you to look at us and say, hey, there's a woman or man after my own heart. God, we want you to say that over us. Thank you, Lord, too, that your strength is sufficient. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. Thank you that your power is made perfect in weakness. And Father, I want to pray for any right now who need to know your strength or maybe need to stand firm. That's you this morning. Just lift your hands to the Lord. I feel God wants to come to you and strengthen you. You might be able to be strong and stand firm. You might know His strength and His sustaining. And as you look forward to what's ahead of you, which might be chaotic and unknown. God wants to remind you of what he's done in your past and says to you, I've been faithful then, I'm faithful now, and I'll be faithful 
in the future. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, you're so good. So good, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday.